0: This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley. It has been quite the year, and it's hard to believe that 2022 is just about here. Now, since this Friday is a holiday, we're changing things up and bringing you the New Hampshire News Recap a little earlier this week. reflect on the year in local news, I roped in a few NHPR reporters whose beats dominated the headlines. I'm joined now by health reporter Ali Pham, education reporter Sarah Gibson, and political reporter Josh Rogers. Thank you all for for coming in. Good to to be be here. here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: It seems like education, politics, and health were all tangled up in each other during the pandemic. Sarah, how has COVID changed the education beat?
1: Oh, how has it not changed the education beat? I think is the question. I mean, it's completely reshaped schools in the United States, as well as the political debates around schools. Uh, school board meetings have really become the site for political fights and the nation's culture wars in the past year. There are a couple reasons for that. One is that it was school boards in New Hampshire that were deciding a lot of the COVID mitigation measures. So if you were upset about the fact that your kid was wearing a mask, if you were upset about the fact that school was still remote while the district nearby was fully in person last year, the person you're going to go to to complain about it is, uh and, and try to make change is your school board board member, your superintendent. So school board meetings became really heated over the course of the pandemic. Um, And, you know, COVID is political. People's risk tolerance, their belief in the severity of the pandemic is influenced by their party affiliation, the media they consume. And so we really saw that play out in what kind of COVID mitigation measures parents and community members were advocating for or against at uh, and school boards across the the state and, frankly, the country. Uh, you know, the other thing that really happened was that parents mobilized around uh, remote learning and hybrid learning that happened last year. A lot of parents were really upset that it took districts a long time to figure out an in-person option, while other parents wanted a remote option all of last year and were, um, you know, advocating for their kids to be able to stay home but receive a high-quality education because of health concerns. So schools had to really contest. With a lot of competing requests and needs from students as well as their parents, and you know what we saw as well in terms of the kind of uh, importance of the education beat this past year is that it showed up a lot in the state house debates. So everything from expanding school choice to whether or not vaccines should be required uh, to whether or not masks should be required; those are, those are all highly contested uh, debates that we saw play out in the state. House as well. And we will see again in 2022.
0: Yeah, it's going to continue for sure. Uh, Josh, your work closely followed the anti-mask and anti-vaccine activism this year. How have you seen that movement grow?
2: Well, it's been ad hoc, um, but also uh, organized. Um, You know, this has been going on for a while. I mean, its origins really were in the, the executive order that the governor issued about the state of emergency. And you had protesters, you know, outside his house protesting those limits that prompted him to Forego a public inaugural, and you know, then when he suspended, uh, when he um, let the the state of emergency expired, I, I think a lot of people figured, well, that was going to go away. Um, you know, it didn't. A telling moment for me was in September when Republican leaders in the New Hampshire House planned to hold a, a State House Plaza press conference, taking aim at the announcement from uh, President Joe Biden that there was going to be a federal. Uh, mask mandate issued through OSHA for employers of a certain size. And, you know, Republicans uh, set up a podium and there were also COVID restriction uh, anti-vaccine protesters there. And they carried on the Republicans as if this was kind of a normal partisan political moment where you would say, we stand for individual liberty. You know, Democrats in Washington, President Biden do not live free or die. And you had, anti-vaccine activist, uh, heckling the Republicans, uh, calling out Governor Sununu. at one point you had House Speaker Sherman Packard um, yelling at uh, protesters. you know you're yelling at the wrong people. We're trying to help you. You're yelling at the wrong people. We' help we're out here to try and help you. Now you're attacking us. And, you know, for me, that was a, a telling moment about simply the tenor of the movement, but also the challenges that Republicans have in dealing with these people, which isn't to say that a lot of their beliefs aren't shared by some elected Republican officials. You recall uh, Ken Wyler, the former uh House finance chairman, you know, he made some pretty outlandish claims about COVID vaccines as uh, both the health effects of them and the the notion that they are somehow uh, uh, an effort for government control over individuals. And, you know, I could go on. um, But, you know, the the interesting thing is the energy within the COVID resistance movement, uh, I guess you could call it, is something that animates a lot of conservatives on the street as well as some inside uh, the legislature, and you know, there's, you know, we all know we still have the lowest rate of vaccination in the region, and it'll be interesting to see going forward what shape this takes. I mean, as Sarah mentioned, yeah. there's going to be many bills debating on the education front, on the vaccine mandate front. Um, on the what you could call the medical liberty front, that's mm-hmm. going to inform a lot of the of the politics over mm-hmm. the next year.
0: Well, and we have Republicans in, in control of the state house of representatives, the Senate this year as well. How did the new leadership handle the pandemic compared to how it was handled before that?
2: Well, when 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 the pandemic first arrived, Democrats were in charge. They tried to essentially finish up, a, 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 find a good ending point. They left the, the 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 state house was closed. The governor has emergency powers. There was sort of a partisan dynamic where the governor was able to use his emergency powers to bypass a lot of oversight from from Democrats. You know, Republicans got elected. Uh, you know, Speaker Dick Hinch was installed uh, within days. He died of COVID. That was a really um, strange and dark uh, moment at the state house, and you know, pretty serious turn in Republicans in the House in particular, have taken some steps to promote safety, but they've never required members to wear masks. And they've also fought efforts by Democrats to uh, allow remote participation in sessions by people who are medically fragile, who are, who are elected lawmakers. Um, and so you know, the House has met in sports arenas, in a parking lot, in a kind of a drive-in movie style thing, it's been weird when they get together. There was hope that they could return to business as usual at the State House, but the, but the, now in January, the first few session days are going to be held at a hotel function room. And
0: some still want that remote option. Right? And,
2: well, it's, it's, it's a subject of a federal lawsuit, but you know during that that time of the challenge of the organizational aspect of the House, the Republicans remained incredibly unified, passing an array of conservative policies in areas that touch the pandemic, in areas that don't, from the budget, from um, restrictions on abortion, and they stayed unified in a way that, you know, perhaps was furthered uh, by the weird uh, the weird aspect of how they had to operate. And a lot of these issues are going to come back uh, when the legislature convenes in January.
0: Ali, how did New Hampshire compare with other states and how it fared with, with COVID-19 over the year?
3: I mean, this has really changed over the course of the year. I mean, I think early on, New Hampshire saw a lot of the spikes and surges that the rest of the country did, but we didn't necessarily reach, you know, the crisis level that states in the South saw kind of in the late summer. That, though, has, you know, changed more recently. I mean, I think um, it's pretty... the the. FEMA teams who are coming into New Hampshire hospitals right now, so those are federal staffers to help shore up our healthcare system, are pretty emblematic of the fact that we're in a severe crisis and that we're a place that needs that extra help right now. Um, you know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, New Hampshire was leading the nation in daily new case rates. Um, so these days, I think we're we're looking worse than than some states that could you know change very soon with Omicron. I mean New York City's cases have already skyrocketed. Sure. Yeah. Um, what but, we're
0: seeing, essentially, is, is is the aftermath of the Delta variant. Right. Spreading yeah, through we're the population. still
3: seeing, seeing that here. Yeah.
0: Well, the controversies weren't all about COVID in this past year. I know Governor Sunu signed a law that restricts how educators in New Hampshire can teach topics like racism and sexism. Sarah, how has that impacted teachers and, and students?
1: Well, that's that's a big question. So when the law was, um, was signed this summer, a lot of its critics said, This law is so vague. The language about what books and what discussions are allowed and aren't allowed uh, regarding systemic racism and the legacy of racism in this country. It's so unclear that that teachers are going to basically self-censor, that there are going to be certain conversations that technically maybe are allowed, but that they just don't engage with because they're scared of, of having a target on their back, of there being a complaint launched against the lodged against them, and then them losing their license.
0: Essentially saying it's a chilling effect.
1: Exactly. Um, and so and so. I've definitely heard some examples of that happening. But what I've heard mostly is teachers just saying there's a, a culture and climate of fear, uh, particularly among social studies and history teachers and English teachers, around what they're allowed to discuss and whether or not they'll get targeted by parents who believe that they're indoctrinating students. Um, so I don't know if that's shifting everyone's curriculum as much as it is shifting shifting morale uh, among teachers. And actually, you know, that question, to what extent is this law impacting teachers and students, is now in the courts. There were two federal lawsuits filed this month by the two major teachers unions in New Hampshire, uh, basically alleging that this law is having a chilling effect and that it denies teachers constitutional rights to due process. Um, So Gilles Bissonnette is with the ACLU of New Hampshire, and here's what he said about the law.
3: It creates this uh, uh, culture of fear among educators. It is so ambiguous. Teachers have no way of knowing whether this book is covered or not.
1: So again, those lawsuits just filed recently, and we'll see how they play out in the courts next year.
0: It's Morning Edition here on NHPR. We are reviewing the News of the Year with NHPR reporters Ellie Pham, Sarah Gibson, and Josh Rogers. All right, I want to hear from all of you on this very important question. How would you describe 2021 in one sentence, Josh?
2: Uh, I feel like I scarcely remember uh, what's happened, but I'm somehow <laughs> confident that we are in the same place.
0: It's a fire hose of news, I know. How about you, Allie?
3: Secretly worse than twenty twenty.
0: Mm. And you, Sarah? Uh oh. <laughs> Is that technically a word or a sentence?
1: I'm gonna say it captures twenty twenty one for me.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably a pretty good way to put it. Well, uh oh may, may describe the the, the the year very well, but I, I wanna end this on a high note if I could, Sarah. Um What brought you joy this year?
1: Okay. So in work, what brought me joy was exploring an outdoor classroom. Uh, there, These have popped up during the pandemic in order to let kids uh, be outside, explore the outdoors, not worry as much about COVID transmission. Uh, and it was truly inspiring for me to visit some of these um, and hang out with kids outdoors. And then also what brought me joy outside of work is that I spent a fair amount of the pandemic attending online dance parties with my friends on Zoom. And uh,
3: it was pretty glorious. How about you, Allie? I think in the news, one thing that's brought me joy is I've been working on a series called Overtime, where we've mm-hmm. been following six New Hampshire women, and it's been a joy to check in with them kind of again and again. And the last couple months, we've had some really bright stories. The Most recently, I um, went to the opening of Wild Orchid Bakery, which is run by Shelly Ann Storer, who is one of the the women in, in that series. And it was so meaningful to see her open this bakery in the exact location that a year ago, she told me, felt so out of reach and was worried might never happen. Yeah.
0: Good news, and we need that.
3: Personally, what brought me joy is a pasta
0: maker. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> All right. Pasta and uh, some good news stories, definitely. How about you, Josh? Uh, I tend to...
2: Consider joy outside the context of work, um, but, um, but but you know I don't know I had I had some nice times this year swimming in the ocean um, you know with my family um, you know I have a dog watching him run through the woods I mean it's you know pretty you whole, pretty wholesome stuff.
0: HPR's political reporter Josh Rogers, education reporter Sarah Gibson, and health reporter Ali Pham. Thanks so much for joining us. You're Thank welcome. You. You're welcome. And a final note for listeners, the New Hampshire News Recap is taking a break during the holidays, but we will be back on Friday, January 7th. In the meantime, happy holidays from the NHPR newsroom. This is Morning Edition from NHPR.